Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 51. What is the fifth petition? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us. As we also find this evidence of thy grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 147, the stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation, or congregation, brothers and sisters, you who are loved by God and who are forgiven their sins through our Lord and Savior, suppose you were told that this is your last day here on earth. Today is the day you are going to meet your Maker. And then you are reminded of the Lord's Prayer, namely that the Lord forgives you your sins just like you have forgiven your neighbor. Wouldn't that prick your conscience? For there's always someone in your life with whom you have to talk things out, aren't there? People inside or outside the church about whom you have negative feelings. But you also know deep in your heart that you are not totally innocent yourself. And so you have a feeling of guilt. You know that things need to be set right. Wouldn't you then take that opportunity to make amends? In some churches, the minister will ask anyone to come forward who has unsettled issues with another person in the church so that they can pray together. And if possible, if it concerns another person sitting in the pews, then that person will also be asked to come forward so that they can pray together about it, to pray for forgiveness, to pray for reconciliation. There is something beautiful about that. You confess your sins over against another person so that you can be reconciled to each other and look each other in the, in the eye and shake each other a hand and have a relationship with one another again. It's not all that difficult to do that, is it? Well, at least it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be too difficult, what Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount. If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift. And so it is biblical that if there are difficulties between you and your brother or sister in the Lord, that then you talk things out, that you seek reconciliation, that you seek each other's forgiveness. And you have to do that as soon as possible. You don't wait until your deathbed. Then it may be too late. It is important to settle accounts with your brother and sister in the Lord and with everyone with whom you have a broken relationship, 
including those outside of the church community. But if such reconciliation is important with regard to your relationship to your neighbor, then that is all the more important with regard to your relationship with the Lord your God. For there are a lot of things that you have to make right with him as well. Think about it. Think about the kinds of things you have tried to keep to yourself. All the things that you do not dare to ask forgiveness for. Don't you think that that also needs to be straightened out between you and the Lord? The consequences are dire when you're silent about your sins. Do you remember what we sang a moment ago? When I kept silent, sinful ways condoning, I pined away through my incessant groaning. Thy hand weighed down on me in my deceit. My strength was sapped as by the summer's heat. That's what happens when you do not take your relationship with the Lord your God seriously and your relationship with your neighbor. Then you feel the weight of your sins, just like David did in this psalm. And when you feel that weight, then you can do one of two things. You can either try to escape or you can face your sins head on. The problem is that the latter The attempt to escape your sins is in the final analysis not possible. The Lord always holds us accountable, if not in this life, then in the life hereafter. And we cannot have a relationship with him except that everything is right between him and us, and therefore also between our fellow man and us, because you cannot separate God from his people. Without the forgiveness of sins, you have no life. Without the forgiveness of sins, you do not really have a life here on earth, and you do not have eternal life. That's what I will preach to you about this afternoon. The theme is, and I put it in rhyme so that you can easily remember, forgiving is essential for living. And then we will see two things. It is essential for a harmonious life in the first place with God, and in the second place with your neighbor. Let me state that once again. Forgiving is essential for living. And it is, first of all, essential with your life with God. The Catechism teaches us to acknowledge ourselves to be wretched sinners. Why does the Catechism do that? Some people will say, now that's typically Reformed. We as Reformed people always want to talk about our sins, about how sinful we are. That's so depressing, is it? Well, yes, it is. If you don't know what forgiveness is all about, if you don't know the tremendous sense of well-being and freedom and release the knowledge of your sins and the forgiveness of your sins can give you, It is our inclination to minimize our sins. It is our inclination not to deal with painful things. But the scriptures teaches us to do exactly that. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 7, verse 24. He says there, what a wretched man I am. And elsewhere, he speaks about the fact that he considers himself to be the worst of all sinners. You may say, well, that's Paul. We know what Paul did. 
He persecuted the church. He even put people to death because of his unbridled and misguided zeal. Well then, what about King David? We just sang from Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. If there is anyone who confessed his sins before God and who showed himself to be a wretched person, it was David. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. What a confession of sin. But then again, you may say once again, well, David had sinned his horrible sin with Bathsheba and even had her husband killed. It is no wonder that he feels as guilty as he does. No wonder he feels he has to confess his sins before God. But I haven't done anything like that. Well, that's why I took our reading from the book of Daniel and the prayer that he prayed. Daniel was only a teenager when he was taken captive by the Babylonians and exiled together with his fellow countrymen. He was a devout young man. He was a prime example of a God-fearing man. He regularly read from the scriptures so that he could be instructed by God's word. And from reading his scriptures, he had learned from the prophet Jeremiah that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. He is quite distraught about this. And so he prays to God in sackcloth and ashes, and he examines his own heart. For now listen to how he prays. In spite of his piety and his apparent innocence, he considers himself to be just as guilty as the rest of the people. He prays, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. Throughout his prayer, he includes himself in the sin of the people. He could just as well have said, O Lord, please consider our generation. We are not committing the same sins as our parents did. We are doing our best not to make the same mistakes. And look at me. I am studying your scriptures and I try to put them into practice. I pray regularly. I want to serve you. He doesn't do that. Wouldn't we do something similar like that under those circumstances, at least in our minds? We try to minimize and to deflect our sins. We have a hard time admitting our part in the problem, especially if we consider our part to be only minor. Oh, sure, we pray, forgive us our sins, just like the Lord Jesus has taught us, but we don't do it in the same sense as Daniel does. We pray that petition thinking that we are not all that guilty personally. For you see, everybody else is in the same boat. 
We're all sinners. We all need to have our sins forgiven. And I'm not any different from my neighbor in that way. So forgive us our sins. We would rather have our own sins mentioned within the context of the multitude. But that's not what the Lord Jesus has in mind when he teaches us this petition. The Lord God wants us to realize that we are not just part of the problem, but that we are the problem. Oh, sure, everybody else is a sinner as well, but you are just as great a sinner. So am I. Don't think about others first when you pray this petition. Think about yourself first. You may say that you don't want to hear about your sins and that it depresses you, but the reality is that you have no difficulty hearing about the sins of others. As a matter of fact, when we hear about how others have done things wrong, we perk up our ears. We secretly delight in other people's sins. But our own, don't mention them, that's too painful. The author of Psalm 130 begins by stating, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let me ask you, when is the last time you cried because of your sins? When is the last time that you were totally heartbroken because of your sins? When was the last time that you were truly miserable because of the fact that you sinned against your Father in heaven? I'm sure that you have cried about the sins of others, about the kinds of things that they have done to you. You have shed many tears. But what about your own? Do you cry about them? Or do your own sins not bother you? Have you gotten used to them. It's not popular nowadays to hold others, including yourself, accountable for their sins. People today do not want to create any feelings of guilt. You can see that also the way justice is meted out in the courts. The lawyers will represent their clients who are charged with an offense as victims, victims of circumstance, Victims of their upbringing. Victims of what others have done to them. They will say to their courts that their client couldn't really help it. At heart he or she is really a good person. He wasn't really responsible. Instead of punishing him or her, we should feel sorry for this person. And the courts often will listen to those kinds of appeals, especially if you have a good lawyer, and give them reduced sentences or no sentence at all. And as Christians, we tend to take that attitude over. Let's not dwell on the sin. And let's be quickly done with it so that we can quickly go over to the forgiveness of sins. God is a loving and forgiving God, and so we shouldn't really deal with our sins too extensively. Let's just deal with His grace. Let's just deal with what a great and wonderful God we have and let's sing those kinds of hymns. Brothers and sisters, that's not what the Lord God teaches us in his word. That's not what we see David do or Paul 
or the psalmists, they mention their sins. They are very specific. If you have ever gone on a diet and joined a group such as Weight Watchers, the first thing they teach you is to write down every single bite of food that you put into your mouth. They teach you to be very meticulous in that regard. You have to write down every dab of butter and every grape or cookie or peanut that you pop into your mouth. You have to write it all down. And then at the end of the day, you take a tally. That's the only way you're going to be able to lose weight. And once you do that, then you will be surprised as to the kinds of things that you pop into your mouth without thinking. And you're surprised how it all adds up. Well, what if you were to do that with your sins? You write them all down. Every time you catch yourself sinning against God or your neighbor, you write it down. Every time you say a wrong word, every time you think a wrong thought or perform a wrong act or deed. And then at the end of the day, you take a tally. You'd be surprised at the many sins that you have committed. It will be quite a list. Now, when it comes to food, you can be quite accurate. Oh, sure, you will forget to write down a little slick or a little dab here and there, but you will get a pretty accurate picture as to what went into your mouth. But when it comes to our sins, it is much more difficult to be accurate. For you see, we sin all the time. It's not like eating. We don't eat all the time, but we do sin all the time. You sin against God every second that you do not live for him. You sin against God every time you do not lead a prayerful life. You sin against God every time you lust after material things. You sin against God every time you do not trust in Him and want to do things on your own. And so I could go on for hours and hours on end to talk about the way we sin against God and also about the way we sin against our neighbor. But you get the picture. There is a long list there is a great debt, and that debt needs to be forgiven, or else you will not be able to have a harmonious life with God. You will be at odds with him. Now, it is a good thing that we can speak about these things within the context of the forgiveness of sins. Else the critics would be right in stating that talking about your sins is depressing, and maybe some of you are a little bit depressed right now. But those critics that say that leave a compassionate covenant God out of the picture. Daniel knew how to pray. He, first of all, put himself into the picture. But he did that while addressing, as he does in verse 9, the Lord God as a loving God full of compassion. Listen to what he says there. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiven, forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. He even makes that a statement. He doesn't ask God to be loving, to be compassionate and forgiving. No, he confesses him to be as such. 
He knows that he will receive the deliverance from his sins. And that is why he also mentions Israel's deliverance from Egypt in verse 15. He says, Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. He is able to put himself into the picture because he knows that he is addressing a God who lovingly redeems his people. He has shown that to his people Israel throughout their history. Time and again he has delivered them from their enemies. Please note, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that we may pray this petition within the New Testament context. We can pray this petition after the death and resurrection and ascension and a seating at the right hand of God, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we are much richer. Oh, sure, Daniel's sins are forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ. But during his time, the Lord Jesus Christ was still being awaited. His sacrifice still had to happen. We may know that it did happen. We may know about the great cost that was involved as well. He shed his blood for our sins. He is that wonderful God who has done those wonderful things for you and for me. And when you look at your sins and your deliverance in in that way, then you also know from what you have been saved. And you can rejoice. And then you can breathe again. And then you can be full of life and vigor and zeal for the Lord your God. For then you see him truly for the loving God that he is. And then you're not depressed. Then you're happy. But you will not be happy if you just skim over your sins. Because then the forgiveness will mean very little or nothing at all. And you will not be happy if you only put yourself in the picture so that you can get lost amongst the masses. No, your personal sins need to be confessed. If you want to have a harmonious life with the Lord your God, then a confession of all your sins is absolutely necessary. It's a wonderful thing, however, that these things do not depend on our own efforts. Ultimately, God is the one who will prepare your heart to be able to do that. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, he is preparing your hearts right now. That is, if you're listening carefully and taking God's word as it is being preached to heart. And he will do that time and again. Because he will prick your conscience as you sin against him. And as you sin against your neighbor. Do not ignore God's voice, brothers and sisters. The Lord God wants to forgive you. He is eager to forgive you. But the forgiveness of sins has to take place within the context of your forgiveness of the sins of others. Not that the one is dependent on the other. It is not so that the Lord God says that you have to forgive the sins of others, and then he will also forgive you your sins. No, those two naturally belong together. 
For once you realize the greatness of your own sins, then you cannot help it but also be a forgiving person. Because you see, then you are no longer arrogant. And then you won't first look at the other person to see, to see what his or her part of the problem is. No, if you know what the forgiveness of sins is all about, then you will want to look at your own sins first. Then, if you have a broken relationship with someone, then you will first want to know what your part is in it. Even if it is only minor, so that you can ask for the forgiveness of your part. Don't excuse yourself. Don't try to take a shortcut. It doesn't work. If you truly know about the forgiveness of sins and you tally up your sins every day, then you are reminded every day again of your own sins. And then you also realize that you are not any better than anybody else. You're just as great a sinner, if not more so. And if that's how you view yourself, then it won't be so hard to forgive others. And then you won't be so busy with what other people have done against you or the Lord, but then you will be busy with what you have done wrong. And yet, that's one of the most difficult things for us to do, isn't it? And it is because of our pride. We are an unforgiving and critical bunch of people. We look at what's wrong with everybody else, and we are very good at remembering the things that others have done against us, even if it was decades ago. I remember one time speaking to a man who was already in his 90s, and he was telling me about a neighbor, about the awful thing his neighbor had done to him, how he had cheated him. When I asked him further about this so that I could try to straighten this out, Then I discovered that he was talking about an incident that happened in the 1940s. It happened even before I was born. But this man spoke about it as if it happened yesterday. It was still fresh in his mind. And do you know why? Because he had been mulling it over for half a a century in his mind. He had never forgotten. Every day that he looked across the yard, he remembered what his neighbor had done. Brothers and sisters, I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody. The man I was talking about, you don't even know him. I'm pointing a finger at myself and at others as well. Because that's what we are like. We can forget our own sins very quickly. But oh boy, when it comes to the sins of others, we have a long memory. Do you realize your own sins? If you do, then the sins of others are only minor. At least that is the way you should see it in your own mind. And so let me ask you, what is stopping you right now from making things right again with your neighbor, with your brother or sister in the Lord, with your family member, with your former business partner? Do you have something to straighten out Think about it and do it. Today could be your last day here on earth. Right now, today, you have a chance to set things right again. And more important, what about the things you have done over against the Lord? 
Think about the things that you do in secret or the things you keep on doing, the things that you keep on overlooking, thinking that God doesn't know about them or that he will ignore them. You need to ask to have those sins forgiven as well and to resolve not to commit them again. And if you do, what a tremendous relief that can give you. What a great sense of well-being. It will be like a great weight has been lifted off your shoulder. And you know, you can do that. You have the strength and the ability. But you can receive that strength and ability only through your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why the Lord Jesus teaches you to pray. You can do that if you get down on your knees, just like Daniel did. He prayed a most beautiful prayer. He was humble. He did that so that he can have a wonderful connection and bond with his Lord and Savior. For when you pray, then you do not have to have in your mind an angry and unforgiving God. On the contrary, he's a loving God who wants you to be in the right relationship with him and your neighbor. That's the fulfillment of the law. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen.